Welcome to StoryCorps, Share Your Science. I'm Sandy Duick, a science communicator at the Bay Area Environmental Research Institute at NASA's Ames Research Center in Silicon Valley, California. Today I'm chatting with Dr. Parag Vashampayam, who I'm very excited to be with. Welcome, Parag. From Thank you. All, from all that I've heard about you, you've done a lot of very cool things from exploring hot springs in Iceland, Greenland, New Zealand, Japan, and the United Kingdom, and caves in Venezuela, to collecting biology samples from the International Space Station, and hopefully Mars in the near future, and to why you began worrying about bugs on spacecraft. Who are you, and how did you get involved in all these wonderful way out there projects? So let's start with who you are. Describe your science journey from when you were a young guy, before you were a teenager. Thank you, Sandy. Th thank you for giving me this wonderful opportunity to talk to our viewers. Um, my name is Parag Vashampayan. I'm a space biology portfolio scientist here at NASA Ames. Um, growing up, I was always interested in science and it just so happened that on my fourth fourth birthday, uh, one of my uncle, he gave me a book and the book was about George W. Carver. And if you happen to know, George W. Carver was the first African-American scientist in US. Um, and by the way, he invented the peanut butter. So peanut butter is an invention of George W. Carver. And that book inspired me so much that I decided that I'll be a scientist. And you can believe, you know, I was only in the fourth grade back then. I didn't know exactly what science career path I will be taking, but I knew that from the beginning that I'll be a scientist. And that just took off by my interest in science, math mathematics. Um, I was just good at maths and science right from the beginning. Uh, but that just one book inspired me so much that here I am today. So it's all because of George W. Carver. And I was fortunate that I was able to visit Alabama and visit his lab where he actually worked. And he has more than a few hundred patents. Uh, and it was just a thrilling experience that something I grew up with, I was able to visit his, his lab and, and actually see by myself. So yeah, that's, that's my journey as a, as a young teenager and up to uh, being a scientist at, at Ames and NASA. What an amazing experience that you actually got to go to his lab. Did you did you know somebody or is it um, how did you get there? Yes. So uh, as a scientist, I believe very much that it's my duty to inspire the new generation of scientists. Uh, it's my duty to share the science with the community, with people. And for that very same reason, I've been conducting uh, HBCU, um, historically black colleges and um, institutions as well as minority serving institutions msi so there was a special funding given at jpl jet Propulsion laboratory where i used to work before and almost for four years i was conducting special programs for hbcu students uh, and minority students under that very same program uh, this was a college which where carver actually did his research and taught that college was part of that hbcu program so I got a chance to actually visit that program and teach a two-day workshop for the students. So it was a humbling and amazing opportunity for me 
his grave is actually on the campus. So I was able to visit his grave and that was actually a very personal and touching experience for me. That is very inspirational. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. I've heard you described as a microbial ecologist, as a bioinformatician who works in the fields of astrobiology and planetary protection. So let's break this down. Exactly what is a microbial ecologist and what do you do? Yes, for sure. So actually we all are microbial ecologists because microbes live on and within us, right? Uh, so microbiology is something very near and dear to all of us. It's just that we don't recognize it. We don't understand it. Only when something like, you know, uh, this pandemic, which we are all going through, it's a virus, you know, and uh, that's when we start thinking about microorganisms which are living around us. But just to give you a fun fact, there are 10 times more number of microbes living within and on us than the number of cells we have. So we have more microbes on us or within us than our own cells. So it's said that we are more microbial than human. So and that's the reason and that's the, the person who studies this micro microorganisms in different environments. It's called microbial ecology. Uh, so when I started my postdoc, I was working in microbial ecology of human gut. So what, what I did is I was fascinated and interested in understanding how this microbial gut formation happens. So when, when we are born, the baby is completely devoid of microbes, or at least we believe that babies, they don't have any microbes in their gut. And the seeding or colonization of microorganisms starts right from birth. So I actually followed a mother and baby right from birth up to one year. And the biggest transition period happens when the baby starts eating the solid food. And our research, unfortunately, we, we were able to publish that research. So it's a very first pioneering baseline work where we were able to show that exact same microorganisms which are present in mother, they are present in the baby. And the moment the baby starts eating solid food, that microbiome changed dramatically. But here is the fun fact that early gut flora development is responsible and important for the health and well-being of the baby for rest of the life. So mother is playing a very important role in seeding the microbiome. And what you eat is also very important in seeding and developing that microbiome. And along with ulcers to colon cancers to many other diseases, including obesity, have been linked to the gut flora or gut microbiome. And that's the reason microbial ecology is so important. And I'm only talking about ourselves, but microbes are present on this very table. It's present everywhere, pretty much, except I can only think about two things where microbes are not present here on Earth, which is the magma, which is extremely hot, so microbes cannot live in it, and Antarctica, which is extremely cold. But other than that, um, if you would have gone any place here on Earth, so I was fortunate that during my research, I was able to travel almost across the world and collect the samples and understand what kind of microbes are present. For example, if you go to Chile in Atacama Desert, extremely hot and arid environment and microbes do survive there. We went all the way down in Japanese hydrothermal vents, extremely hot, extremely high pressure, 
and we were still able to see microorganisms not only surviving but thriving there. And so that that is such an that is such a wonderful uh, opportunity for us to understand what are the extents or what are the limits of life to survive on here on this planet, very same planet where we all live along with these microbes and how we can extrapolate or how we can increase our understanding of limits of life here on Earth and extrapolate that on Mars or any other planetary bodies and understand what kind of life could be surviving there. So that's that's my main interest in microbial ecology. Um, I was an oceanographer before I joined my PhD program. So I was on high sea for almost for 20 days a month and I was collecting uh, soy, uh, benthic and water samples in ocean. So I thought I'll be an oceanographer all my life, but I changed my career paths and, and went into the virology. So I did uh, first ELISA kit or first kit for detection of HIV viruses in India. Uh, I was part of that team, so I was able to develop the first HIV detection kit in India. Um, so yeah, as a microbial ecologist, I was drifting like microbes. I was drifting from <laughs> one area to another area, uh, but that's a fantastic journey. That is an amazing journey. So let's move into bioinformatics. You're also described as a bioinformatician. So this sounds really complicated. Can you explain what this means? Yes, it sounds complicated, but it's not actually complicated. So bioinformatics, and let me explain it uh, in a very simple term. Bioinformatics is nothing but using computer or computer programming for understanding the biology. And I absolutely had no programming or coding experience before I joined my postdoc. But I joined uh, my first postdoc here at Lawrence Berkeley, and I was working at the Joint Genome Institute, which is one of the largest sequencing center, and they sequence three chromosomes during the human um, genome project. And I was just literally thrown with a bunch of bioinformaticians, and I had no idea what they're doing and how the coding and programming works. Um, and it just so happened that, you know, Few of us, it's a pretty interesting story. Few of us, we used to go for lunch every day and we will debate on whether we should go for a Korean food or Indian food or Italian food. Uh, so they said, hey, Parag, why don't you write a program? The program will, will select which uh, lunch we will have today. So I just started with a very simple program where one random hotel will be chosen. And then I slowly started making that program more and more complicated. And that's how I just learned how to write the programming. Okay. Uh, so much so that in 2013, I actually started my own company uh, doing bioinformatic analysis, commercially doing bioinformatic analysis research, and I had several. So uh, apart from this fun fact, it's nothing but use the programming or use the com computational power to understand the, the genomes. And genomes are nothing but made up of four letters, a, T, and G, C. That's how our DNA blueprint of our uh, our whole life is coded into those four words. And if you put together these four words millions and millions of times, that's how huge the, the data is. And you need a computational power to crunch that data. And that's exactly what bioinformatician do. And the yeah, that's the simple, simplest way of putting the bioinformatics, but it's been used everywhere now, right from microbial ecology mm -hmm. to personalized diagnosis or for development of new 
drugs and mm -hmm. vaccines. It's mm -hmm. all about bioinformatics. Thank you. That is a very good explanation. So you're using your expertise also in the fields of astrobiology and planetary protection. So let's break these two uh, terms down as well. Astrobiology, biology in space. <laughs> yes, astrobiology is actually three phases. You can think about how, how life came into existence, how life came here on Earth, how life evolved, and where are we going? You know, these are the three basic questions are asked in astrobiology, the field of astrobiology. So in in scientific terms, how we evolve, mm -hmm. how are we, how we came into existence, how we evolve and how, where are we going? So what we look for is we are looking for life here on our own planet and anywhere in the universe. Does life exist everywhere or mm -hmm. we are pretty unique uh, for life to sustain here on Earth? And how right from like existence up to up to now, how, how life has evolved. So all these questions are asked. So it's they're they're kind of philosophical, but understanding the concepts of life. Mm -hmm. And that's why many, many branches. So it's an interdisciplinary branch, astrobiology is. So astrobiology involves many branches which comes together, which involves chemistry, biochemistry, microbiology, uh, and you name it. So Everybody comes together for astrobiology. Okay, so what about planetary protection? Protecting <laughs> planets? Yes, it's it really sounds like uh, the movie Made in Black, but that's not really what planetary protection is. So I've been doing planetary protection for the last 12 years at JPL. Um, if I have to explain very simply what planetary protection is, in, in many cultures, when we visit somebody's house, uh, we take the shoes out, right? And we take the shoes out and we go in, in, in the house. The only reason we do that is because we don't want to bring any dirt from outside in somebody's house. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what we are doing. So when we send any spacecrafts to other planetary bodies, we don't want to carry any microorganisms, terrestrial microorganisms with us and take it to other, another planetary body because we have very limited understanding of those other planetary bodies. Let me give you an example of Mars, for example. So I've been working on Mars missions for last almost 10, 12 years. And the spacecrafts which are built uh, in clean room, so they are extremely clean environment, but still they may have some microorganisms on it. Extremely very, very small microbes. They can easily fit on a nooks and crannies and crevices on the complicated spacecraft and if we transport the spacecraft and land on other on Mars, we may actually seed microorganisms on other planets. And that is called forward contamination. That means you avoid bringing any microbes from Earth to other planet. That's just one aspect. Now, for example, in future, if we bring any samples back from Mars, we don't want to contaminate our own Earth by bringing any unknown or known life from Mars to our planet, and that is called back contamination. So as a planetary protection researchers, we are responsible for avoiding both forward as well as backward contamination to okay. avoid jeopardizing any science for doing science on other planetary bodies and jeopardizing the safety of life here on Earth by bringing any unknown Andromeda star 
strain kind of life from other planets. <laughs> so that is my prediction. Okay. So the obvious question uh, is how how we do that? How can we prevent contaminating Mars from uh, Earth microorganisms? So the way we can do that is by monitoring as we build the spacecraft and reducing the total number of microbes present on the spacecraft. So we cannot we cannot just bake the whole spacecraft. We cannot put it in the oven and bake it and kill all the microbes because there are very sensitive electronics, optics, and some of the instruments present on the spacecraft. So we actually go and collect those microorganisms from the spacecraft as we are building it. So planetary protection engineers are involved in the manufacturing of the spacecraft throughout the life cycle of that spacecraft. So we we follow the spacecraft right from its birth till the launch. And that's why, you know, sometimes I, I say that there are very few people on Earth which can say that I have touched every spacecraft component which is on the Mars right now. So I'm one of those lucky people. I mean, me in the sense, me and my team, we have touched and sampled every spacecraft component, right? While we are building it. And that whole spacecraft is on Mars right now. So it's it's a wonderful feeling. I have a fun fact about you, which I hope is true, that you have found more than 6,000 bacteria. You've collected these from wiping down spacecraft between 1995 and 2000. Is that true? Um, almost true. It's we, We've been collecting these microorganisms since 1975. Okay. So okay. that means from Viking. So since Viking 1 and 2, planetary protection uh, requirements are in place. So it's not just like we are doing it to be safe. It's actually part of a requirement. Uh, NASA has signed a Space Act agreement. So it's part of the Coast Bar and we have signed the Coast Bar Treaty. So we are obliged to follow certain guidelines which are given in the Coast Bar and all the planetary protection efforts are part of that effort. So what we what we have done is since 1975, every time we collect the samples from the spacecraft and which can be done by both cotton swabs or wipes. So wipes are used for a bigger surface, cotton swabs are used for a smaller surface. But anytime if we find any microorganisms, we don't discard it, we don't toss it, we keep it. And we've been archiving these microorganisms since 1975. So I call it as a time capsule, you know, we have captured what kind of microbes we have seen since we've been building the spacecraft from 1975, Viking up to Mars 2020, or Curiosity, all those microorganisms collectively, it's called microbial archiving or microbial collection. And at JPL, we have this whole unique microbial collection. And before I left JPL, I was, um, I was leading an effort. So NASA actually funded me to take all those microorganisms from the freezer and identify who they are and what they're capable of. So I was actually doing a genetic inventory or genome encyclopedia of all those microorganisms so that in future, when we see those same microbes again, we can say, oh, we know for sure what they are capable of or what they can do. And that way we can increase our efforts for avoiding any potential contamination for future missions. Is there a particular microbe that's fascinated you the most? Yes, some of the microorganisms are more fascinating than others. We do care about all the microorganisms, but some, because of their 
phenotypic characteristics, they're very important. For example, we found one very particular microorganism called Bacillus pumilus. It was found in a clean room and it was extreme. It is extremely resistant to UV, gamma radiation, desiccation. You know, we, we tested everything and it is such a tough bug and it, it will not, we will not able to kill it by heat radiation, by gamma radiation, and it will just survive than compared to any microbe. So that's one of the most important organism we have found. Mm -hmm. And we did one interesting study. So we thought if it can survive in the clean room, will it survive in space? Mm -hmm. And to answer that question, we actually flown that microorganism outside space station. So what we did is we put it on a small coupons, metal coupons, and placed it outside space station. So you can imagine it is exposed to cosmic rays or it is exposed to all the space condition and it's revolving around the earth for 18 months. So we let it sit there outside the space station for 18 months. And then after 18 months, we brought it back. To our surprise, most of the bugs which are sitting directly exposed to space condition, they were pretty much died. Only few of them survived. But we placed one more coupon just underneath that, which is basically shielded by the top layer. And the moment you shield something by the top layer, they just survive. They just survive fine. And that that underlines the importance of planet protection. So if you have anything which is shielded or anything which is hiding underneath something, they can survive during the interplanetary transfer. They can survive from here to Mars and even on Mars because they are shielded by something. Uh, so that was a pretty unique and fascinating project we did with uh, European researchers. So they had several other bugs and we sent this one fascinating bug along with that. So yes, we do find very fascinating bug, but just, just to, I mean, our understanding of microbiology in general on earth is that we have grown less than 1% of the total microorganisms on the earth. That means we have not grown or we have not studied almost 99% of the microorganism. So every now and then we actually find new microorganisms which have not been described or not been studied before. And if you are a researcher and you find a new microorganism, you get a chance to name that microorganism, except yourself. So you have an opportunity to name it after anyone. So I was fortunate that I have studied more than a dozen or so new microorganisms which were not before, known to us before, and I get a chance to name them after cool people I like. <laughs> <laughs> and did you happen to name one after the man who invented peanut butter? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I did. So I have named one microorganism after uh, George W. Carver. Uh, that paper is yet to publish, but there is one named after him. Mm -hmm. uh, I have named one after Carl Sagan, who is also my hero. So I have named one bacteria after Carl Sagan. Uh, we named one after a very famous astrobiologist, uh, a female astrobiologist from Germany. Uh, so yeah, so you can you can pick and choose the, the fascinating names you would like to name them after. In your career so far, what job has inspired you the most or made you think differently about your life or the world around you? I started my career as a microbiologist. So someone who studied extremely small or very small organisms which are living, but you cannot see it with the naked eye and you have to use a microscope. Then I joined NASA and started 
studying the universe, which is very vast, very big, and you cannot see it with your naked eyes. You have to use a telescope. So someone who use microscope and telescope in day-to-day -day life, is, it's very unique. And that has actually broadened my perspective that there are things around you which you cannot see or perceive with your intelligence, and they're out there. And so it was a humbling experience being a NASA researcher as well as a microbiologist to know the limitations, but still to be curious. And I think Einstein once said that I'm not intelligent than others, I'm just curious. So if you're curious enough, inventions happens. And that was that was my experience so far that you don't have to be extraordinary or you don't have to be genius to make the inventions. You just have to be curious enough that um, you're curious all the time to understand what's not known to you. So is this what you tell students who want to uh, pursue careers in science and maybe want to work at NASA? Is this your main message to them? Yes, absolutely. Uh, as I mentioned before, we, we conduct a lot of workshop and community outreach for students. And one of the question always comes like, which career path I should take? What major I should take? What minors I should take? And my answer to them that, please, please, please pick the one which you really like, which is something uh, you know, very close to your heart. And you can apply that for astrobiology. You can apply that for any field of science. It's just that your passion, you know, if you are curious enough that and passionate enough, you can apply any stream of science or mathematics or physics or anything you, you choose, you will be able to apply for the for those bigger questions. So my message is always just follow your heart and follow your passion. Good message. Okay, one last question for you with regards to your career. If you weren't a scientist today, what else might you be doing? <laughs> yes, um, actually that's a very obvious answer. If I was not a scientist, I would have been an artist. Uh, I am an artist, uh, so I play in theater. I was, I was playing theater for all my life. I still do. Uh, in my local language, I still play theater. Uh, I do painting. Uh, and so, yeah, if I was not a scientist, I would have been painting or doing theater all my life. And um, would I recognize any plays that you've been in? <laughs> Probably not, because they are in my my uh, mother tongue. <laughs> Got it. OK. All right. So now I'm going to ask you some questions sort of about your personal life. Because we're in a podcast and there are no visuals of you to share with our audience, I'm going to make some assumptions about you and I want you to agree or disagree with them. I wear a white lab coat. Agree. When I'm in lab. I sit behind a computer all day. Agree. <laughs> I'm a bioinformatician, so I sit behind a computer computer all You're day. You're a number cruncher. I believe we're alone in the universe. Disagree. I, I I seriously believe that we are not that unique, that we are the only life forms here on Earth. Um, even the maths and science tend to believe that there must be or there should be life somewhere out there. Uh, it's just that we are not able to understand or we are not able to find the life on in the universe. I am motivated by. Um, I am motivated by the curiosity. Things which I don't know motivates me to find those answers or find those those things. Excellent. 
In my family, I'm best known for. <laughs> That's a fun one. Uh, in my family, I'm best known for uh, being an artist because everybody appreciates my art. They hardly understand about what science I do. So I try to explain them in very layman's term what I do. But yeah, I'm, I'm known for all my artwork and my theater in my family. In my work, I'm best known for. Uh, in my work, I'm best known for to be resourceful. You know, as I said, I may not be the most intelligent person in the room, but I'm extremely resourceful. I know how to get work done. I know how how you can use the existing resources, and I'm curious enough to find the solutions for the existing problems. Thank you, Parag. I am so glad we had the opportunity to chat today. Your life, your career, who you are, they're all so fascinating and you are inspiring. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sandy.